That's what we're going to talk about, that Jesus Christ is more than, more than just a baby. Next week, more than just a good teacher. And in week three, more than we deserve. Isn't that true? Jesus Christ is more than we deserve. With the, the first Sunday in December, it really, truly has begun the Christmas season. And I, we all hope that those little elves that were here on Thursday night, that you love their work. Isn't this pretty? It's lovely. Is it getting you in the mood a little bit? Who has got their Christmas tree up already? Let's see. Way to go. Look at that. Wonderful. I know some people uh, on uh, November 1st, right after Halloween, the eve of, the next day, Christmas begins. And I think that's all right. We, we get so little time to celebrate Christmas. It's truly upon us, this wonderful, wonderful season. Uh, yet the culture that we live in, quite different, eh? They would not see what maybe you and I see as something so grand and so wonderful to celebrate. This central figure of this baby Jesus who came into this world. And, and he is the reason for the season we've heard for so long. And, and most often today people would prefer to offer uh, greetings like happy holidays. Without any sense of the reason for this season, as opposed to Merry Christmas. Maybe even some of your offices uh, where you work are telling you, you can't do that anymore. You have to offer a happy holiday. Well, it's not a happy holiday without Jesus. So today, we are looking at celebrating him, and we are trying to help those, maybe for those who are even watching online, and, and some maybe even here who don't know much about Jesus, to make sense of this season where we say, Merry Christmas. Many who are not Christians would be uh, comfortable with Christmas celebrations that just centered around gift giving, centered around uh, enjoying family, um, getting a little time away from work, all of which is good. But they would like to put a minuscule focus on the celebration, the reason for the season of this child that was born some 2,000 and a little bit ago. Uh, trying to diminish that seems to be more palatable for so many. However, in our premise for this season of ministry for these next three weeks, we are saying so clearly that Jesus Christ is more than a baby more than a good teacher, and he is more than we deserve. See, all the major religions around the world, here in Canada, would look to Jesus and say, yes, uh, we, uh, for example, uh, the Muslim community would believe that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ took place, but they would not see him more than a good teacher. Uh, we would look at many of our Jewish friends, and they would recognize Jesus' birth, and they might even say he was unique, a prophet that had come. Hindus, Buddhists, and others would agree that Jesus was born of Mary and lived a very significantly unique life. But for us, 
who follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we want to be clear about who he is, uh, that he is more than just a baby. Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus was born in that stable in Bethlehem, uh, shared some amazing prophetic news that would have caught the tension of his nation around him. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn into Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And here we read Isaiah's amazing prophecy of this child that would come. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6 and 7 it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Now listen to this. Wonderful counselor. One name. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah, by the power of the Holy Spirit, enlightening his heart and mind and, and giving him this prophecy, foretold of that very first Christmas day in that manger, in that little town of Bethlehem. Isaiah's words became the cornerstone, the centerpiece of this prophecy of Jesus. So this morning, let's just for a few minutes take a closer look uh, through the lens of Isaiah at this one, this Jesus, who changed the world forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that uh, your presence, your power will work mightily in this room and as for those who are watching online. Holy Spirit, touch our hearts. Allow us to be open to receive from you whatever we need to individually hear and learn and be encouraged with. And may everyone here know Jesus personally. May they see him as Lord and Savior. May they have taken the moment in their life to recognize that as sinners we need to leave that behind and trust Jesus, the Savior the Lord of lords and King of kings. So help us this morning uh, to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, first of all, when we read Isaiah's prophecy, we begin to understand that there is something very unique about this child's nature. As you read with me, uh, there's, there's something powerful and unique about this nature of this child. And so let's look at three important aspects of the nature of this child. Jesus. First of all, we see that this child was just like you and I, fully human. Well, that's cool. Uh, it speaks to the clarity of the fact that Jesus was truly a human being. It says that Jesus was born the Son of Man. You'll see that throughout the New Testament. It's really referring back to his, his humanity. Born of an earthly mother, put on human flesh, and lived 33 years on this planet. And to consider Jesus' humanity is, is so important for us because 
We have to remember, Jesus walked and talked like a, uh, a man because he was a man. Jesus ate like a man because he was a man. Jesus had feelings and he hurt like a man because he was a man. He hungered, thirsted, and got tired like a man because he was a man. Jesus died and was buried like a man because he was a man. When Jesus was born in the flesh, it, it meant that he, God, became one of us. He put on human flesh. He knew from the moment, uh, that moment on, that you and I would, what would, we would feel and go through. He would experience that. This uh, connection, this identity uh, with humanity was critical in God's plan. It was absolutely critical uh, for men and women to come into a right relationship with the Father because Jesus had become a man. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We think it was Paul, has a lot of the distinguishing marks of Paul's writing, but we don't. But it does say something so powerful, Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Very important, isn't it? Jesus, our high priest, the one who stands in place of us, he can sympathize with us. That word sympathize is so important. It means to feel, to suffer with us. In other words, to have absolute and understanding of what it means to be a human being. Jesus, this child born in that manger, was one of us. He knows us well because he was one of us. So a child was like you and I, fully human. But this child was... Uh, unlike you and I, he was fully God. Catch that? Fully human and yet fully God. Pastor Jonathan, our youth pastor last year, preached about this. So important that we understand that Jesus was fully man, fully God. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Uh, the child is born speaks to his humanity. The son is given speaks to his deity. As a child, he's the son of man. And you'll see again throughout the New Testament, he's referred to of this, as the son of man. But also as the son of God. As a son, he is the son of God. As a child, he helps us to understand uh, our, his earthly beginning. As a son, he helps us to understand his eternal being. As a child... This tells us that he was a babe in Bethlehem as a son. This tells us he was the eternal God of glory. Isaiah, again, we can stay in all, Isaiah all day long to talk about Jesus. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they sh and, uh, shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, uh, church, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. So critical that we understand he was fully human, but Jesus, born in that manger, was Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, the absolute truth is 
that Jesus was born of an earthly mother, Mary. But he came into this world because of his heavenly father. Jesus has royal blood. The blood of his heavenly father flowing through his veins. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 and 33. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He was born fully human, but we can never, ever forget the fact he is God, and he is holy. One Bible teacher has said, the great mystery of the manger is that God could, be transla- could translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. Take some time and read that again. God could translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. Importance of the virgin birth can never be underestimated, never be missed. Jesus' virgin birth means that he was born without sin and therefore could be our spotless lamb who takes our place. And who took our place on that cross to pay for our sin. Then, of course, today, following this message, we're going to remember that he didn't remain in that grave. He was raised to life. And that, that sacrifice by his being raised to life is seen as being accepted by the Heavenly Father. So this child was fully human. He was fully God. But this child was God's gift to a lost world. As we read Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9, we see for a child unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. And we have to not skip by the fact that the son is given. It should pause, give us pause to think. Uh, Maybe of the greatest verse in all of the Bible. At least one of the verses that most of the world knows because at every sporting event, people hold it up. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so gave. Jesus is the greatest gift ever Given, But we can't stop there. We need to read verses 17 and 18 of John 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
Do you believe in Jesus as the Redeemer, the Savior? The baby that grew to be that man who took the place of so many who would put their faith and trust in him. The miracle of Christmas is that God became a man. The person of deity wrapped up in the package of humanity. Let's never forget that this little baby born was not only human, was not only God, he was a gift. Gift to each one of us. The startling reality is God's given us two things. One, he's given each and every one of us life. We're here today because God gave us life. And uh, just an aside, if you're breathing today, God has a purpose for you. A purpose to bring glory and honor to him. Now, maybe you're still discovering what that is, and that's okay. Sometimes it's, it's challenging. But first, don't forget, he gave us life. Secondly, he's given us a Lord that can give us eternal life. This life is something we're just passing through. This life is temporary. But there is an eternal life to come because we are eternal beings. Now, much of the world doesn't believe that. But if you read through the scriptures, you you read very clearly that this is just the shell. And some of us were happy when that day comes when this shell is gone. But this is just the shell and eternal life is there waiting for us. Uh, There's a story uh, that many years ago, there was a wealthy English family in England. They were entertaining some friends and the kids were off at the pool and the adults were off to the side, caught up in conversation. And all of a sudden, there were screams and shouts, and uh, a child was in the pool and was drowning, and there was a gardener nearby, uh, uh, and he heard this, and he jumped in the pool, and he pulled the child out and saved the child's life. Uh, The parents were, of course, deeply grateful. And they asked this gardener, what can we do for you? We'll do anything because you saved our child. And the gardener, I don't know, out of courage or whatever, not having means himself, said, I would pray that my son would one day be able to go to university and become a doctor. We've talked about that. And many years later, who we know now as Sir Winston Churchill, was the Prime Minister of England. He became ill with pneumonia. And... The best physician that they could find was a man named Sir Alexander Fleming. He's the guy that developed penicillin. Remember your your school days? Sir Alexander Penicillin. Winston Churchill was that boy in the pool. Sir Alexander Fleming was that boy that his parents sent to school to become a doctor. And he saved... Winston Churchill, again. This is what Winston Churchill said. Rarely has one owed his life twice to the same person. Winston Churchill has said many profound things, but I find this profound, greatly profound. When I think of Jesus and I think my father, 
He gave me this life. But he not only gave me this life, he saved this life through what Jesus has done on the cross. Twice he's given me life. Has he given you life twice? Okay. So let's, let's recap. Uh, when we read about Isaiah's prophecy, we begin to understand that there's something absolutely unique about the child's nature. But secondly, when we read Isaiah's prophecy, we begin to understand that there's something absolute unique about this child's name. We can't go by reading Isaiah 9-6 without looking at these four unique and distinguishing names of the child to come, the Savior to come. And we understand as we read the Old Testament, names were very important things. They weren't given willy-nilly. They weren't given without thought because names often meant something about what they felt the child's character would be. I mean, starting right in Genesis chapter 1, we read about the one who created all of this and he is called God. Uh, We come to Isaiah and we realize that this one to come, this child, is called Mighty God. And if you read throughout the Old Testament, you will see God described as Elohim, uh, the Mighty One, as El Elyon, God Most High, as El Olam, the God of Eternity, as El Shaddai, the All-Sufficient One, as Jehovah Jireh, the one who will provide. God's names are many, and you cannot give God enough names to describe him because he is indescribable in all that he is. But we do our best. God's word helps us. Our God is so great and so glorious, yet we can't give even Jesus all the names that he deserves because he is beyond that. Isaiah revealed that you can call Christ this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We could spend a lifetime just contemplating and developing our, our mindset about that. As a wonderful counselor, it speaks of, the, uh, of one who is unique and out of the ordinary in his ability to give wisdom and guidance. Do you struggle some days to know what to do in life? Go to the one who is the wonderful counselor. He has spoken clearly and prolifically in his word. We think this is just a book we read on Sundays. It is a book that should guide us each and every day of our life because in it are the words of the wonderful counselor. He, Moses, I, I think of Moses as he stood before Pharaoh who's such a hard heart. He wasn't going to let the people of Israel go. And he said to Pharaoh, be it as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. He knew that God was beyond what even Pharaoh could understand. And how Pharaoh missed getting wisdom from God. God would have given Pharaoh a a, a touch of his mind and heart if he'd been open to it. Are we open to God? Even as Christians, sometimes I think I'm I'm closed off to God. I know better. I'm going to do it my way, Lord. And in the end, what, what happens? When I do it my way, it never really turns out very good. So let's be the ones who follow this Jesus, the wonderful counselor, 
closely and carefully. David did. He said in Psalm 16, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Well, he's not only called the wonderful counselor, he's called mighty God. And when I read that he is the mighty God, uh, my soul, our souls should be strengthened with hope that no matter what the situation, he is able. He is the one who will take us through those challenging times of life. As a mighty God, he can empower us, empower me, to do what is right. As the mighty God, uh, his presence, provision, promises, and power, and his protection are all at my disposal. Do I lean into him, or do I take off on my own journey? There is nothing impossible with God. Do we put our lives in his hands? Do we trust his power? For the hopeless and the helpless and all the rest, he is mighty God. Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you believe that, church? Nothing is too hard for God. The challenge is, will we trust him? Will we believe him? But he's also called everlasting father. I love this phrase. I don't know about you. Many, some in this room, have had a less than beautiful relationship with one who's called father here on earth. But when we read of Jesus being the everlasting father, what we're reading about here is that relationship that we can have with him that's pure, it's holy, it's perfect. That God is not some distant deity that doesn't care about our day-to-day lives. God is not some distant deity that doesn't know exactly who we are and what we're all about. God is not some distant deity who doesn't care. He cares. His character is full of caring, of loving, of wanting to know each and every one of us deeply and personally. In Psalm 68, verse 5, the writer says, Father of the fatherless and protectors of widows is God in his holy habitation. He cares. He does watch over each and every one of us. Now, he doesn't take away all the challenges. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if every day we wake up and, oh, look at what I got to deal with. God, can you take that away? He doesn't do that. But what he does say is, I'll be with you. I'll walk with you through that challenge. Trust me. I'll be with you. Lastly, he is called the Prince of Peace. Now, another wonderful phrase. The one who will fill our lives with a peace and an assurance even in the midst of the storm. When the winds and waves of our life are flowing around, the Prince of Peace will not leave us comfortless. He will not leave us by ourselves. He will, not, uh, he will help us and he will be there with us. Isaiah earlier in his book said this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. A beautiful verse reminding us to keep our minds, to keep our hearts stayed on God. 
focused on God, resting in God, and that he is the everlasting rock, the unshakable rock, the rock that we hold on to when things are going really not great. And he stays with us, and he, he holds us. So we come to understand that this one, this baby, is more than just a baby. Uh, we see it in his nature described in Isaiah, in Isaiah. We see it in the names he has given. When we read Isaiah's prophecy, we begin to understand that there's something absolutely sovereign about this child's role. Let's read Isaiah 6 and 7 one last time. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government of, and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. A couple things I want to close with. One is his kingdom is eternal. We know that. When someone takes Jesus as Lord and Savior and receives him into their life, God tells us he dwells within that person. The Holy Spirit comes into the life of that individual and it is an eternal presence. But there is coming a day when that presence will be not just eternal, it'll be external. Jesus is coming again. Jesus will reign on a real, literal, visible touchable, you'll see him thrown. And all the mess this world has come to be will be gone because he's the perfect ruler. He's the loving, caring ruler. He will wear the sovereign crown as king of kings and lord of lords. In Isaiah's day, the leadership of his country and around were just absolutely incompetent. But not so with Jesus. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. The bo a baby boy born in that manger who grew to sacrifice his life so that you and I might have a life in relationship will come again. We cannot forget that. We cannot live our lives every day without constantly thinking, I have to live for today, but I know he's coming again, and it could be today. That's why I tell so many people, don't hold off, because when Jesus comes, there's no more hope to trust him. You've got to trust him today. Jesus will come again and set this world in order, this messed up world. And as believers, as followers of Christ, we will see the one we worship, and it will be amazing. Well, this world, when they look and think about Christmas, they think about a whole bunch of stuff that's not even connected to the reason for the season. But when they do think about this one called Jesus too many, too often, they have an offense. They take offense to Jesus. What is so offensive about this child? The Christ child who came to earth to live among men, to grow as a man, and 33 years later, to give his life for men and women, boys and girls. 
his birth changed the trajectory of this earth. The, the birth of Christ can change the trajectory of your life. Will you let him? Will you just say, you know, I've been a little stubborn, Lord. I put my hands up and said, not right now. Maybe even said, never, I don't believe. But now you, you feel the touch of the Holy Spirit. Today is the day to say, yes, Lord. I know that baby born in that stable is more than just a baby. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the one who can change my life. I want him to. I trust that today you'll do that. And if you're a Christian, you've already been there, and you've made that decision, you're following Jesus, renew it. Come to Jesus again and say, you know what? I want to give all of my life. I'm holding back. I know I'm holding back. I know who you are. You're the everlasting Father. You're the mighty God. And therefore, as my God, here's my life. I lay it before you. Take it all. Use me for your glory. And maybe at this Christmas season, he'll do something special. As he is unique, he will uniquely use you to tell the story about the baby who's more than just a baby. He's God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for this morning and for the joy of singing wonderful carols, hymns of joy, telling about Jesus and his birth and uh, the fact that he gave his life uh, for us. Uh, I pray, Father, that uh, as we now take some time uh, to reflect on the end of his life, that uh, our hearts will be blessed and you will be honored that we have obeyed your word to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.